0: Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, your host for this episode of ASRM Today. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Peter Schlegel. Dr. Schlegel's been on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic as cases have continued to grow in the United States. Dr. Schlegel continues to work in the reproductive medicine space with other professionals who are looking for solutions in these perplexing times. Dr. Schlegel, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Dr. Schlegel, I want, want to start with, not everyone might know about your background and, 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 and where you are. Uh, we, Tell us a little bit about yourself along with what your specialty is and exactly where you're practicing right now
0: sure in addition to being an immediate past president for asrm i am also a urologist chair of the urology department at weill cornell medicine in new york city and also function as the senior associate dean for clinical activities at weill cornell medicine
1: so let's jump into to 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 covid here so when 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 did you begin to see things sort of change uh uh, in new york city due to the covid pandemic
0: sure so in early march it became evident that new york was going to be affected uh, by the covid epidemic when some of the first cases were identified it was very clear that we were going to move into the center of part of this disease activity. Mm -hmm. How quickly that occurred and how profoundly we would be affected could only be modeled out from our initial inklings of what was happening in early March.
1: Had you previously been following it as it was developing across the world?
0: Absolutely. But I think many of us looked at that as oddities that occurred elsewhere and didn't fully appreciate the impact of what could occur if this disease actually came to the United States. Mm -hmm. We were concerned that the United States as a free state and a highly mobile group of people could very quickly pass this disease and have it mobilize, but again, the degree of impact that it was going to have was not immediately evident back in January or February, I believe.
1: And it wasn't due to say looking at it as an anomaly necessarily. It was just something that I guess in layman's terms it just no one could really put their finger on at the time.
0: I think nobody um, or very few people in the United States at that point in time really appreciated how this could become a local epidemic and pandemic to the degree that it was.
1: Hmm. Um, What has been the biggest surprise then in this pandemic as it has developed for you professionally?
0: Well, I think the transformations that have occurred, certainly everybody has had transformations in their social life and the distancing that is required. Um, I think the transformations that have occurred in the workplace with a predominance of people working from home and changing how you interact with your colleagues uh, really has been uh, surprising to almost everyone but in the hospital setting there's been a complete change in focus from providing care to a wide variety of different groups of people to focusing on this disease and its multiple manifestations. And everything from how the emergency room runs, how we segregate uh, patient care and evaluation in the emergency room, ramping Mm -hmm. up the number of intensive care units, providing the supplies that are necessary um, for that care. Each of these have been transformations that again, um, were very unique in medical care I think in medicine we are able to adapt but frankly adaptation is not something that you typically perform at an institution wide level or city and state level as has been required during this pandemic. Uh,
1: and you uh, you speak about the ability to adapt if if was is there anything even with what you know about working with adaptation was was there something that you wish you'd known sooner that that might have been
0: helpful sure i i think that uh, many of us were caught a little bit flat-footed with the need for protective equipment we -hmm. assumed that there was an abundance of protective equipment Mm -hmm. and even the national stockpiles of for example face masks with n95 levels of protection was grossly inadequate. Um, Mm -hmm. A hospital like I work at, New York Presbyterian Hospital, can use 100,000 masks a day if it is actively taking care of patients. Mm -hmm. The stockpile that the government had really was only about a million masks, um, Mm -hmm. to the best of our knowledge. That sort of shortfall um, clearly was something that we as a nation were not adequately prepared for
1: so you would say then that if a lesson we should take forward from this then is that we should reevaluate the way that we're that the that the industry is or or uh uh stockpiling such supplies perhaps or
0: i think we have to have a broader level of preparedness um and you may say well why are we going to have you know huge stockpiles that we may not use for another 10 15 years there is some scenario planning or disaster planning that has to occur so that you're prepared for events like this. Mm -hmm. Similarly, problems with the ventilator supply. And then Mm -hmm. the sudden need for multiple different areas and essentially states being uh, trying to outbid each other in terms of getting the necessary supplies and equipment have created multiple levels of challenges.
1: Mm Uh, you have a leadership role and I want to ask you a little bit about what have you learned as a leader through this experience up to this point
0: sure Um, so I think being a leader in a period of um, change and substantial uncertainty is really challenging I think For those that you are working with, those who work for you, um, the fear of uncertainty is incredible. Mm -hmm. People will almost lose control if they don't have an ability to see what could occur going forward. So I think some of the key elements of what a leader has to provide in such a situation is one. Um, to provide and share information. Uh, In theory, information exchange is very easy, uh, this time with internet, email, and other communication, but the reality is you've gotta have some degree of face-to-face communication. And of course, when we block face-to-face communication with social distancing, Mm -hmm. you've gotta use other mechanisms, whether it's Zoom or GoToMeetings or whatever it is, so that you communicate directly with the people that you are uh, leading. Some of the elements in terms of how you present information, uh, Mm -hmm. I think have to include being factual, um, being concrete, but also being willing to say what we know and what we don't know, um, because predictions of the future that are absolute and often wrong Are going to result in a loss of your credibility as a leader and frankly even greater fear amongst the people that you're trying to lead uh, and take care of Uh, I think you also need to be willing to to take on challenges and to acknowledge what people are thinking and feeling Um, Uh when a new disease comes out you don't know how it's going to affect you you have to acknowledge that those are real and, and rational concerns people might have.
1: You, you spoke there just a little bit about some lessons that you've, you've learned about through leadership and through social distancing, how you're doing all that. Um, what, what has impressed you the most then during these trying times and in, in working with groups of other professionals and, and, and also your own, your own staff?
0: Sure. I think one of the things that we have learned is how much we can be adaptable. We're used to having a regular schedule that occurs through the week. You even have set schedules for weekends, and um, that is something that is so predictable that you sort of accept that that's the norm of how things work. One of the challenges of a crisis is that you need to be completely adaptable. As I referred to before, you need to change how the hospital works and what services it provides. Mm -hmm. Instead of, for example, 10% of the hospital capacity being intensive care units, you might need to make that 40% of the hospital capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, This takes dramatic changes physically, in terms of manpower, in terms of equipment, and organization in teams. And frankly, we don't typically have teams that have the sort of expertise you sometimes need in intensive care units. So we need to adapt to that. So, again, that adaptability is something that um, we actually have at high levels in healthcare. And frankly, I think that's a tool that we're going to need going forward as we prepare for recovery and adapt to recurrences of disease and how that affects us in the future, we need to be able to adapt as more information comes along and um, as we move forward in our care of patients.
1: So Dr. Schlegel then, uh, as, as we talk about the future and we try to sketch out and, and, and imagine what the, the post COVID-19 uh, world is going to look like, uh, what is, what, what's your outlook on the future for healthcare and, and especially reproductive care?
0: Well, I'm very enthusiastic about healthcare's ability to change and adapt to what has occurred and the implications of having COVID exist throughout a number of communities. Meaning, even though I expect we're gonna have to have a degree of fundamental transformation of our care processes, I think that is going to be set up in a way that even though we change, we're going to provide great care we will not be able to do everything that we did before in exactly the way that we did we are not going to provide health care with for example extremely crowded waiting rooms we are not mm. going to be able to do sequential sort of management of patients through monitoring stimulation um, etc we're going to have to look at how we treat people in a different way we're gonna take advantage of what we've done with telemedicine over just the past month where this has exploded for a number of different centers and incorporate that into how our care is provided going forward. We're not gonna be flipping a switch to go back to the way we were before, but we're going to adapt to what we see in our new challenges of um, new blips in terms of disease activities, what we learn in terms of the effects of COVID on pregnancy, and we're going to use that to optimize our care for couples in the future. And I think, again, all of these activities together will make us better, stronger and more effective, but it is going to take a fair bit of adaptation to the environment that we are in. So, one of the things that has struck me um, dramatically about our healthcare system and what's occurred during this COVID pandemic and, and subsequent crisis is the willingness of our physicians, healthcare workers, nurses, advanced providers, trainees, of everyone to come together and work as teams and to take on challenges even when they didn't have a certain view of what was going to occur in the future. Um, I have been overwhelmingly impressed um, by the team that that I have to work with, and I would hope that the information and support we've been able to provide them uh, help with that, but I think um, we are in a very fortunate position of having some extremely bright and effective people um, that we have the opportunity to work with. One of the approaches that I took um, during the early part of this COVID crisis was to try to learn as much as possible about what occurs with this disease, how it manifests itself, and this is not the sort of situation where you can go to a book and get the background or go to the internet and be provided with immediate information on what happens you also need to integrate new information as it comes along for example we did not hear from china uh, much about the gastrointestinal effects that could occur with covid infection here Mm -hmm. About a third of the patients that we've treated have had dramatic GI effects we also didn't hear anything about the substantial at least microcapillary thrombotic activity that occurs with this disease that has resulted in such an epidemic of renal failure that we're running out of dialysate to allow people to stay alive through um, their dialysis treatments. These are dramatic effects um, that you learn from observation, uh, you learn as information evolves, and frankly, to some degree, you have to learn on the fly. In many ways, that's an exciting medical time, um, but in other ways, you need to be broad thinking and not fixed in your approaches. And we've even seen some of these changes uh, potentially affect how pregnancies proceed with microthrombotic changes in the placenta. So each of these little tidbits of information is critical to amass together. And we've been very fortunate that some leading journals like JAMA and New England Journal have jumped on the tidbits of medical information that exist and provided them to us And again, I think those have been very rich resources of information to share.
1: Dr. Schlegel, as you talk about information as as the most power or one of the most powerful tools here in in dealing with COVID-19, is there anything you have found uh, that or, or do you have any? suggestions maybe other outside of journals about how you and your colleagues can share information so that we don't have a situation again uh, as, as, as you were describing with China?
0: Well, I think there are a lot of tools that now exist for sharing information. Scientifically, we like to have a very constricted sort of approach to how that information is put together, reviewed, and then shared. I think in this crisis we've also learned that you need to fast track some of that. And so a lot of the material that's coming out is a little less um, filtered than what we've seen in the past and you therefore have to pick your sources of information carefully. Um, But I think one of the things we've also learned is there are some experts who are at the head of these fields and if you allow them to put together webinars or you um, record their presentations, those are excellent ways to um, learn about what's happening and to share information um, in ways that we haven't done as effectively before, Um, Mm -hmm. but that allows your information to get out to a broad audience. Critically important when things change week by week and certainly month by month.
1: Well, Dr. Schlegel, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. I've been speaking with Dr. Peter Schlegel, uh, who's been on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. as cases have continued to grow in the United States, especially uh, in New York City.
0: Thanks for having me on, Jeff.
1: Thank you so much.